There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and wonderful to be back with you for yet another week of the Business Elevation Show. And today we're going to talk about how to get to the top and still have a life with my guest today, Heather Townsend. But before we talk to Heather... I want to say um, a thank you to my guests. Um, really, over the last couple of weeks, um, last week I actually played a, a replay show. It was a favorite show of mine with Lisa McLeod on Noble Sales Purpose. And the week before was a show I'd pre-recorded with Eamon O'Brien on podcasting. And the reason I did that was that I was in Kenya, in Africa last week. Um, I was with an organization called Leaders Quest. Uh, some of you may remember that I interviewed Lindsay, the founder, Lindsay Levin, on the show a few months ago. And um, it was an incredible, incredible experience. Uh, leaders Quest helped to develop, so they say, wise, compassionate, and adept leaders. People are capable of leading in fast-changing, disruptive environments uh, with competing priorities and interconnected challenges. And their quests um, in different locations around the world really help you uh, understand and remind yourself of what really is important. Uh, you know, why we're here, sort of contribution that you want to make. Uh, for me, during the week, uh, we visited lots of different uh, organizations in, in Kenya. Uh, but ones that really stuck out for me was the Human Needs Project in Africa's largest slum, Kibera, which has possibly 1.2 million people living in it. Nobody really knows. Um, I was asked for my takeout on that. Um, my takeout as a left was, I'm never going to complain again. Mm-hmm. Whether I managed to do that or not, I don't know, but I've not complained since I got home, that's for sure. I um, also uh, met some wonderful people. I stayed with the Maasai tribe and slept under the stars on a bed of leaves, enjoyed some very fresh goat uh, for supper, and listened to hyenas and bush babies and stories from um, from the Maasai tribe. Uh, and I came face-to-face with lions in the Nairobi National Park. But really memorable experience. And I came back with a real deeper sense of, of what is important around family, around friends, around colleagues, and the way that I want to move my business forward. So a big thank you to, uh, to Leaders Quest uh, for that experience, and I'm looking forward to engaging with you further. So today we're going to talk about how to get to the top and you know, still have a life, and that having a life uh, you know, relates quite nicely to you know, what I've just been doing and some of the reflections I had last week. Um, But what is the smart way to get to the top of the professional ladder such that you really still do have a life? And my guest today is Heather Townsend. And Heather's an expert at how to get to the top of the professional services industry. Um, As much as anything, she wrote a fantastic book um, about how to make partner and still have a life. And and in reading that book, I realized that um, so much of that is transferable to uh, not just professional services, but to whatever role and career that you have. Now, Heather is uh, the award-winning and best-selling author of four books, including The Go-To Expert, The FT Guide to Business Networking. Her books have sold over 20,000 copies. They've been translated into six different foreign languages. And uh, she's helped her clients add um, in the last... 12 months, uh, over a million pounds in fees to their client portfolios. So she's a really in-demand lady. So a wonderful pleasure today to welcome to you to Heather Townsend. Thank you, Chris. 
You're welcome. Nice talking to you, Heather. Um, I often start with this because we have guests from all over the world um, on the show. Um, whereabouts uh, are you speaking to us from? Where are you from? I'm in a little corner of England that most people won't know about, which is about an hour north of London in a place called Bedfordshire. And if you're asking for is there any defining features about Bedfordshire, the answer is no. Uh, but what it, I am very near, so some people might be interested that I'm quite near Bletchley Park, which is where in World War Two the code breakers were stationed. Uh, there was uh, yeah, an amazing film about that recently, wasn't mm, there? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I just don't um, – so what's the, what's the guy's name who was uh, the code breaker? Um, oh, he committed suicide. He did, didn't he? Oh. I mean, I've forgotten his name now, but he was just – Turin. Alan yeah. 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 What an what an inspirational man. Mm. Mm. Incredible, incredible film. Yeah. If you've not seen that movie, do uh, do watch it because it is very, very inspiring and a guy who should go down in history as a real hero. Um, so Heather, tell us about your childhood and you know what inspired you to eventually write this book about how to make partner. Was there something in your child and have a life? Was there something in your childhood uh, or early life that kind of led to this? being a you know, prolific author and consultant uh, and the likes? Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I gave up English at the age of 16. I wanted to be an engineer. You know, uh, The writing bit actually came when I was made redundant for the last time in 2008. And I actually was able to finally really choose what I wanted. And that was a point where the writing, the speaking and all of that sort of stuff happened. But if you'd if if you'd actually said if you'd been with me on the day I got the call to say uh, by the way there's no easy way to say this which is means that you can have a tough call um, and you'd said to me in nine well was it that was two thousand eight so in in eight years time you would be a prolific author world authority on this that and the other I would have told you asked you what on earth were you smoking insert a few um shall we say stronger words within there and can I have some please <laughs> so, but actually my what really started to fascinate me was in 2004 I started to work for BDO which in the UK is a top six accountancy practice it's an international practice so there'll probably be a v BDO in most countries in the world I think it's like 200 countries and as a result of working in a, you know a partnership environment which is highly competitive I got absolutely fascinated about what it took to make partner and you would expect for something like you know accountancy uh, legal firms consultancy firms there are a lot of people in a partnership environment you would have thought they would have been like the corporate environment lots of literature to help you make that transition and there isn't there really wasn't there's very, literature, there's very little literature or practical help about how to make that final transition from senior fee earner to partner or for people that aren't in a partnership environment to get from middle manager to executive level. And it's so that led me to co-author How to Make Partners to Have a Life, which has just had its second edition published. Now, in the process of decoding what it took for people to make partner, I realised and other people helped me realise that much of this was relevant to people outside of a partnership environment, i.e. what you need to do to get to the top of your chosen career or profession. It's very, very strange, isn't it, how you know, the, in these organisations that 
highly competitive actually i i think in in you know the way that people move through an organization i can only really liken it to when i worked for mars the confectionery company many years ago it was a very competitive process however there didn't really seem to be a very clear route map in terms of how to do it it was almost like part of the ability to move on was the ability to fathom out the game yeah yeah and and there's often a gender there's often a gender problem um so women are far more likely to sit there and want their results to speak for themselves Mm. their games they want the results to speak for themselves whereas men are far more likely to intrinsically understand the rules of the game they are far more likely to very subtly be always be self-promoting themselves you know it's the little things where you might be talking with a senior person you go oh well when i just build x amount of whatever with this client this query came up what's what's your thoughts on that do you notice how subtle it was Mm. um so it's interesting those people that sit there and expect their their own results to speak for themselves are normally the ones that wonder why they're not getting noticed and promoted and potentially get frustrated yeah absolutely and and there's more there's more than just it's more than just about are you getting the results that there's some there's something intrinsic that and a lot of what i'm going to say is actually completely common sense but until you kind of look from the outside on the inside you don't get it so one of the things that i often see people struggling with is to try and fit in and if you're trying to fit in, then that's not the right organization for you because you need to have an organization that, that you have your values are reasonably well aligned to not just the overall corporate values, but also the microcosm of which you operate. Because one of the realities of working within the professions is that you get little microcultures in different offices and different teams. And it's the same everywhere. It's it's not just the overall stated values of the organization that you've got to have a reasonable alignment with, but also your boss, also the people around you. Um, because what people don't realize is the person you report into has so much of an influence on how you feel about the organization and what you do. Mm. I think, you know, being a boss as well, uh, I think what bosses sometimes don't necessarily realize that the impact they have on the people who work for them, um, <laughs> You know, they don't actually. Your boss is often with your 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 partner, or maybe your your parents. One of the most important people in your life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much research. I can't quote something to hand, but people leave their boss rather than their organisation. Yeah, they, they do. They do. It's a most uh, single, most important factor, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that, and I suppose if you look through your career, if anybody's listened to this who's had a number of roles in the past, if you look through your career, you'd probably be like me and realise the ones that you you moved fairly quickly from were because you weren't empowered or or engaged engaged with the person you were working for. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, how do people best, you know, determine? And I think the first step in your book is about really getting clear about what you want from your career is the a best way to kind of determine that because people often struggle don't they thinking yeah. well you know how far do I want to go and what do I want to do and what do I enjoy doing absolutely and and interestingly so many people get sucked into this work-life balance type stuff 
And actually, your career is just one facet angle of your life. And you don't have a dress rehearsal for your life. You know, it doesn't work like that. And actually, before you can work out what you want from your career, you need to work out the bigger picture around it, what you want from your life as a whole. Because if you only focus on the career bit, what you find is that work will fill all of your available time and stuff outside of work gets left with the scraps. Mm. So, you know, if, if you're dying, if you see yourself at the top, how does that match with the rest of your other life goals? And one of the things that I'm starting to talk more and more about is like when you really choose, good stuff happens. And actually, if you want to get to the top, and still have a life, you've got to really choose. And you've actually got to really choose what's important to you. And people who've sussed this out and are living this life on purpose, you know, or where they really choose, tend to be those high achievers. And, you know, in my experience, when you marry together passion and skill, that's when you get the ultra high performance levels. And you might be saying to me, but how do you really choose? And I think the element is what are you passionate about? What are you really passionate about? So a good friend of mine is, is a police officer. And he, he went to Imperial. He's got a decent maths degree. He's a bright lad. And I say to him, you know, why are you not aiming for chief inspector, superintendent? And he says, I don't want to be involved in the paperwork. I don't want to become senior management. What I really enjoy and what I'm really passionate is banging away the bad guys. And he doesn't want to get into the position where he's having to play politics and shuffle paper and decide budgets, this, that and the other. It's not for him. So I think you've got to work out what you're passionate about. And if you're looking at the next level and thinking, no way, there's a question there whether you've got an organisational problem or actually whether you found your natural level in life. And then it's actually about looking at what do people come to you for? So too often we're not aware of our, of our own strengths. You know, you take me. I actually read uh, Marcus Buckingham's excellent book, Now Play to Your Strengths, and did the Gallup Strengths Finder, and it came out as one of my strengths was communication. And I looked at it and thought, yeah, that's wrong, and <laughs> didn't think about it. And then when I got outside of corporate life and I wasn't fulfilling anybody else's expectations, I was free to create exactly what I needed for me right now and in the future. That's where I fell in love with blogging. I fell in love with speaking. And before you know it, communication, actually, it is one of my real strengths. But that, you know, people have, were coming to me for that. I just didn't realize it at the time. And then the last thing is to really understand what actually fits. So if you want to be that hot shot executive that's flying all over the world, but you really want to be a dedicated family person, how's that going to match up? You know, you need to look to those life goals in the round and make sure that they both fit. And if they're not fitting, you have to then really choose. What is it that you really want? What is it that's so important to you that you will sacrifice it above all others? Because actually, that's, I think, why so many people get frustrated on the way to the top, because they don't really choose. They go in there with, I've got to get there, rather than thinking about actually what do I really want? What place are my strengths? What am I really good at? And because too often we're promoted to that position of incompetence. Yeah, yeah. I suppose we also we, you know, we can be led by other people, can't we? Yeah. And that people are led by, you know, their parents wanting them to be 
doctors, lawyers, yep. or whatever, and then you know you get into an organisation. You know, I, I found myself at one stage in my career as logistics quality and forecasting director for five and a half thousand pubs and restaurants, and <laughs> my background was my background before had been sales and marketing and training and HR and uh, some procurement. But uh, how I found myself in a job of that detail was quite incredible. Um, uh, and actually it wasn't the most engaging role for me personally. No, and, and, and the thing is, all too often at the age of 18, the influences on our lives are the ones that's really making the choice. Mm. And very often that's not you as an individual. So I think about myself personally, and, you know, my parents didn't tell me to do this, don't get me wrong, but the implied stuff was that if because I was good at maths and I would become the fourth generation of engineers in the family, that that would be good for me to do. And I was up for it, absolutely. But with the benefit of hindsight, I would have been far better doing a psychology degree. Yeah. Absolutely far better. I would have been far better doing something like economics, PPE, something that actually set me up a little bit better for what I do now. And you see that, and you referenced that earlier in the conversation, that all too often society, our culture, our parents are, are half choosing our career for us because, of course, we want to please them. We want to do the right thing by them. And then what I find particularly in the professions is people get to sort of 30, 35 and think, how did I get here? This isn't what makes me happy. Exactly. Hey, well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break now. And after the break, we're going to look at some of the key things we really do need to understand uh, once we're clear on what we actually want to do and where we're heading. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm talking with Heather Townsend about how to get to the top and still have a life. Now, Heather, uh, one of the things you talk about in your book is the importance, you know, once you're clear on where you're heading, to really build a very firm foundation to develop your career. So do you want to talk a bit about those firm foundations and what you need to put in place to um, be able to really launch yourself from? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is you've actually got to commit to your career. You know, how many of us start going into work on autopilot? How many of us, the only time you think about your future is just before your annual appraisal. And then once you once you and your manager have done the annual dance around what you want to do, you both put it back in the drawer and think, thankfully, that's over for another year. Um, you know, if you're going to want to get to the top, you've got to treat your career as if it's a client of yours, as if it's just as important as the work you're doing. Otherwise, you'll just end up on that constant treadmill of doing the same old thing by the same old thing. And so having a live career plan that you look at every fortnight, that from that career plan, you've got little tasks or things that you will put in every week just to move your career development on a bit. Now, that could be as simple as going out to a um, event run by your professional body. It doesn't need to be a and I'm going to interview for a job. It just needs to be something little that's going to move you on a little bit. And the other thing that I'm struck, I get quite a few individuals that are really determined to make it to partner. And they're so determined that they put their hands in their own pocket and they, 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 they hire me privately. And you know what about these individuals? They're successful. And they become even more successful when they put their hand in their pocket because it's it's really commit they are committing themselves to what they want to do it's really for them so how much of your take-home pay do you put towards your own personal development I remember being trapped in corporate life wanting to get some development to move my career forward and my firm would never pay for it at the time whereas I now wish that I'd just gone you know what I'm taking it if I need to take holiday to do it that's what I'll do but it will help me going forward so really making sure that your career development is something that's live and it's planned and it's focused. The second thing is to actually play to your strengths. How often in corporate life are we asked to play to our weaknesses? You know, Chris, you were talking about that role that you did that was, um, I think it was in the break we were chatting, that was actually way outside of what you'd done previously. And, you know, I've had that in the past where, you know, you get asked to do something because it would be good for your personal development. Well, will it really? And you've got to ask yourself and really choose. You know, and it's it's one of the things I've learned with my clients, particularly the senior ones, that when they play to their strengths and build a team around them to support them with their weaknesses, they become very successful. So we've all got weaknesses. It, it It's always the way. But actually acknowledging them, building strategies to overcome them is that way forward. And the final thing is you've got to nurture the right people around you. You've got to build a support team inside and outside of work. So what do I mean by that? An internal firm mentor, 
that can really tell you how the firm operates and who are the movers and groovers and who you need to have on side and advocated for you in your career. Sponsors, people that they may be your mentor, but people that behind closed doors are going to be opening doors for you. They're going to be giving you those experiences that you need. They're going to be the ones that are going to put their self on the line and say, yeah, no, they're ready for this now. You also need friends at work. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> be absolutely honest, because you're going to be there a lot and you need friends outside of work. You're going to need some people that you can go, I really hate X, Y, Z. And it's and you can say that in complete confidence, knowing that it's not going to be around your organization within seconds. Uh, of course, I would say this, but so many of my clients tell me that having an external coach is really, really helps them because that coach is totally focused on their client's personal agenda they're not everybody when you're when you're in work has got an agenda for you because you've got a boss has got an agenda the organization's got agenda your partner's got an agenda your kids have got an agenda your team members got an agenda for you and the great thing about an external coach is they've only got your agenda that they'll hold sacred with you and you know there's little things like if if you want to be at the top, you've got to make sure that the home fires are kept burning. The last thing you want to do is have to go out of a really important meeting because you've got no childcare. And, and it's thinking about, you know, how do you make sure that you are maximizing what you're doing, where you're doing it? So that's also about a support team to make sure that when you are at home, you're maximizing the time that you're spending with the people you love rather than thinking, I've got to do the cleaning, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And that's what your support team's about. It's to support you to be the best that you can be where wherever you are. I guess that, you know, within that, that uh, ability to, you know, to be able to focus on the things that are important so that you, you know, you are actually not, you're not one of those who's coming in at seven in the morning or six in the morning and staying till late at night uh, to enable you to have that life outside of work. It's, it's a balance, isn't it? Mm. It's always a balance, and and some people might be thinking, but I I see the guys at the top in my organisation, and they're and they're married to the organisation, and one of the sad facts when when you is is very often when people who have been married to the organisation retire, they often die very quickly. They do. You know the stress catches up with them, and you know the professions are probably the hardest place to build a career because it really is a sort of the firms chew you up and spit you out if you're not up for it. And actually, it's a high-stress environment. And if you're going to get to the top, you need that resilience. You need to have ways of making sure that you are able, building coping mechanisms, to cope with that peak pressure so it doesn't get to your blood pressure and this and that and the other. Yeah, it can be, uh, yes, as you say, it can make the difference between... Uh life and death really that it's very very important and one of the things you mentioned in your book that i i took note of was to really understand how your firm makes money and i thought that was very wise actually and you really got me thinking about hmm, i wish i'd really thought about that question when i was in some of my earlier roles yeah and i think it's really important that you understand the fundamental business model of the organization you you're in what was it set up to do and what are the key processes that allows it to do that? And then what are the key levers that people can pull in order to achieve those goals? 
And when you understand that, you then get a real insight to why the organization culture does what it does, why people do what it does. It enables you. So a classic example is any role that is fundamental to the operation of the country the company. So if it's professional services, it's the fee earners that sell their time for money. If it's, say, a big organization like your old employer, Mars, it's going to be about the ability to market and sell, well, make, market, sell the products. And when you understand that, it suddenly becomes a lot clearer because if your operation, if you are essential to the operation, you'll find that you will have a lot more sweeties in life. Your career is going to be developed a lot more. There's going to be a lot more opportunities to move left, right, center, up, down. Whereas if you're actually a non-core process, so you don't directly help the operation make money, such as HR, such as finance, there's a lot less roles there. There's a lot less opportunity to move about. And so knowing how your firm makes money gives you the insight to also work out how do I make sure that I'm taking the initiative, that I'm doing the right things, so I'm going to get notice of somebody that really gets it. One of the things I think in, in organisations that you know, is interesting and people are very mind, mind, often very mindful of is sometimes there's like a, you know, a club within the organisation. There's a certain number of individuals who seem to be you know, very close, almost like in a, in a sanctum. Uh, how do you get in, into that club? Any thoughts on that? Or, do yeah. you think, or should you get into it? It depends what the club is, let's be honest. So in, in, in the partnership world, that club is the partners. If you want to be a partner, you need to get into that club. But it's when it's a club that you need to get into to progress, then absolutely you need to form part of that. If it's a club where, and, and you often find this, where actually it's the informal influencers that are there, they might not have a title, but they are the movers and groovers, then you do need to probably get in part of that club. If it's just a clique, don't bother about it. Um, and typically, to, if it's to get into that club to help you get promoted into the top, you, the people in that club have got to feel that you're like you're like one of them. And, you know, they're going to be listening to the verbal clues, the physical clues that you, you think, feel and act like them. And so if you're wanting to go up a level in an organisation, that means you've got to be thinking, feeling and acting as if you've already been promoted. And, and this is the thing that, that trips people up in the partnership so often. You know, if you're not already thinking, acting and feeling like a partner, they won't think you're ready. And it doesn't matter if your business case is brilliant. You probably won't make it. So remember the thing about club membership is you need to be invited rather than force your way in. Mm. So how do you start making, how do you start building the relationships on a one-by-one -one basis with the members of the club so that you get trusted enough to be invited into the roundtable discussions? And it is about really thinking about it on a one-by-one -one level. Who are the relationships I need to know? Maybe can I get a sponsor from that club who's going to bring me in there? Because all of us within an organization have got our own little black books. We're all parts of formal or informal clubs. And it's about who, who will open their black book and let me into the club. 
that's the person I've got to build a relationship with. That's the person that I might need as a sponsor. That's the person that maybe could be a good mentor to me. Mm. So you need to take quite a strategic approach. Yes. Oh, yes. It's And all too often, people are too close in the workplace. You can't see the wood for the trees. And actually having that time just to think, to digest, to reflect, to take the long-term view is what people need to make it up to the top. And and very often, I know you do some coaching, Chris, as well. Mm. That's the bit that the coaching relationships really helps people do. It gives them that reflection time. You're right. I completely get what you were saying earlier as well. I mean, I, I think that ability to be prepared to invest some money yourself, uh, yeah. I always find that people who do that often get more than if something's given to them on a plate. They take it more seriously. Yeah. And therefore they they really utilize that to gain the results that they want. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a really interesting signal that uh, people are prepared to you know, invest a percentage of their income. I think people always used to say you should invest 10% of your income on mm. your own learning and development. It's um, yeah. uh, amazing that quite a lot of people don't. Yeah, you know, those people that get to the top are those that are prepared to invest in their own development, which comes back to the when you really choose, good stuff happens. Mm. You know, if I think about my early career in learning and development, if I'd chosen to fund some of that myself, I would have probably realized quicker that I didn't need it. Yes. <laughs> and I would, you know, and I actually I would be better spent working on other stuff. But I hung on to that and then it became that quite negative vibe. they're not investing in me. Why should I invest in them? And actually, I should drive my own response, my own development, because it's my responsibility. Nobody else can live my life for me. Yes, yes. Uh, whereas, whereas some people sit there frustrated that they're not moving forward as quick as they want to, and it, they yeah. mention it appraisal and times. It's actually you know, thinking about it and you know, taking the time out. I know one of the I have a very successful, very successful uh, relative, and I know he always used to spend you know a good two or three hours on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, uh, locked away in his home office, thinking about his career. Mm. Did it for years uh, and. Uh, now he's seeing the, the multi-million pound benefits from doing that. Yeah, and, and I think that's an interesting point that you bring up because we're talking about how to get to the top and still have a life. All too often people think how to get to the top means you've got to work incredibly long hours. Actually, the most successful people are very good at carving out time for themselves. Um, and it was it, uh, talk about the three-bucket model that I was introduced to by Chris Williams from Momentum 4, and he talked about... We've only got one bucket full of water of energy on a good day. We've only got one bucket full, but we've got three buckets we can put that energy in. One of it is career, one of it is self, and one of it is others, i.e. relationships. And all too often, as we're going to the top, we overinvest in career, we overinvest in relationships, and we leave the self bucket dry. And if you leave that self bucket dry, that's where you... Uh, find your resilience is is basically leaking out of your empty bucket yes um you know you need that time to recharge you need that time to feed your soul and a lot of and and you see it a lot with um high-flying professional women who've got who are torn with family and this that and the other and they leave no time for themselves and it's so important to do as your very successful relative do and actually go no this is my time this is my time to just be. 
I completely, completely concur with that. And I think one of the saddest things a client once said to me was, he said, you know, during my career, I put so much time into my work and really neglected my kids. Mm. And, um, you know, I didn't have time for them. And now they're older and I want to be with them. They haven't got time for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you you know you're right. He wasn't putting the time into the relationships either. I suppose that's also why relationships break down, isn't it? So yeah. frequently with busy, career orientated yeah. people, it, it's you've got to manage all of those three things, and that's the smart thing, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to manage them in harmony, really. And the interesting thing was when I was in corporate life, we could always tell who had a problem home life because they would be the ones always at the end of the day still there for hours and hours, and often the first one in the office. Mm. And and the thing is. If you don't have, you know, one of those ingredients to get to the top is to have that stable home life. I remember I remember a client of mine that had an argument with her husband. I was like giving her a coaching session and she was practicing in tears the whole way through. It was like, that's not helping. And I remember having one of the very few heated discussions with my husband. You know, we do it about once every five years. We have a bit of a heated discussion. And I was a mess until we'd sorted it out, a real mess. And you can't be your best at work if you've got all of that negativity going on at home. Mm. Well, on that note, we're going to move into commercial break now. And, and, and after the break, we'll, we'll have a look at things like you know, selection processes and you know, tips for doing well as you move through, the, uh, through your career. And you might come across job panels and those sorts of things. Um, so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper 
So Heather, uh, we were chatting about obviously how to get to the top and still have a life, and we got started getting quite deep in in our conversation. And I'm kind of interested in you know something I found uh, happened to me a lot during my corporate career, which was you know as I moved forward with my career I found myself getting involved with a lot of different selection panels from time to time sometimes uh, quite involved ones even for sideways moves and I just wonder whether you have any you know view on that about how to you know how to do well in in those sorts of situations yeah so particularly so what I'm involved in is um where the selection panels for future partners and a lot of my clients say to me I'm fine with the process as long as it's a fair process and I tell them it's never a fair process. <laughs> um, and I think that's what you've got to realize with selection panels, that it's never a fair process. And actually, the people that realize that know that they've got to do well on the day, of course. But they're the ones that are building relationships with the people that um, they need to influence to help them get to that move. Yes. It is about that internal network. Because at the end of the day, we're only human. We're going to go on an emotive response. Who do I want in that role? And you know, and particularly on those panels, you're likely to be getting the people that are going to be interacting with that person. And this is about you've got to know the the way that the organization plays. You know, what is the game that's being played? And one of those is very often in those selection panels, people know who they want to appoint. Yeah. Um, and actually, the selection panel is very often just a rubber stamping of that. So who's going to be the sponsor for you that's going to be rattling behind closed doors to help you get there? Who are the people that actually can influence that decision? Who are the people that are going to be on the panel? How do you get time with them? Now, of course, get to know the process, get to know the criteria. So one of my clients did really, really well in a competency-based interview and you're always, if you're in a selection panel, you're always going to have a competency-based interview. And it's very simple. You go down the competencies for that role that you need to demonstrate, and you find a story that helps you demonstrate each of those competencies. You write those stories down, and then as you go through the interview, you cross off the stories to make sure that you've matched up the competencies. And if when you get to the end, you haven't crossed everything off, and when they say to you, is there anything you'd like to ask us? You go, actually, can I just tell you about X, Y, and Z? Because it will mean that they'll cross off a few more of those competencies. Yes. And when you realize that, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But how often do we go into those sorts of interviews and we haven't done that level of detailed prep? If you're in a selection panel interview, you're going to be in an organization that is mature enough to have all that information widely available. Um, there's no secret to the fact you're going to say, for example, the organization at that level needs you to be a strong communicator. And, and it's going to ask you questions that for you to show here is when I, where I've used my strong communication skills. The next thing is a lot of, a lot of women tend to use the word we. We did this, we did that. A lot of men tend to use the word I. So when you're in that selection panel, you need to be very clear about what was my involvement, what was the bit that I did, rather than going, we did that, we did that, um, because you're needing to demonstrate this is the value I bring to the organisation. Yeah, and I, I suppose that's particularly important if you've got 
you know, a female with a male panel. Yep. Um, would you, if you had a, a male with a female panel, um, is it most likely that they would be looking out for we, or does it depend upon how how, how masculine the females are? <laughs> you, you know what? When, uh, my gut reaction is most people aren't listening to that level of detail. Okay. But what they do is that there'll be something that jars. Mm. They won't be able to put their finger on it, you know. And I've I've spoken with people who've who've said that person's not right for partnership, but I can't put my finger on it. And typically, it's down to the language that's used and the words that's used that forms a subconscious impression on the person. Sure. So they can't identify, but it's things like, and this is where having your organisational nous really really helps. If you're going to be in front of a panel that values collaboration, you want to up the amount of we, but being very clear about what you did in that process. Right. If you're if you're in a little bit more of a dog-eat-dog culture, it's all about I and how you brought people together around you to help you do this. Do you see the subtleties? Certainly do, yeah. Make, makes sense. And really, you've got to, to think about all of those, those sorts of things. You need to be not just turn you need to be turning it really well prepared don't you having really thought yeah. it through yeah if you think that just because i'm the best person for the job means i'm going to get it you've already failed the first hurdle you know i'm talking about people going up for those very very senior roles it comes back to what lobbying are you doing before you get in the room so it's almost a done deal for when you get in the room yeah and do you think you know, we talked earlier about you should be very, you should be clear in terms of what you like doing, where you're, where you're most in your natural flow and your strengths and competences. Uh, sometimes we can find ourselves with the opportunity to, uh, to potentially go for very senior jobs because actually we have got that support from lots of people. Uh, however, we might not necessarily be well as well suited to it as mm-hmm. you know we might think. How do you recommend people just understand that? And, and you know, what's your view when people hit that crossroads? Should they, you know, should they decline to to move that forward, or you know, particularly if they're concerned about, you know, maybe being marked down because they've not promotion, if because they've not taken the mantle? And it's a really interesting one. So you've got the scenario where I, when I left Tesco's, knew that I wanted to be. Um, an external consultant. And so I got a job to be an external consultant with a small training company. And within two months, they said, we'd like you to resign so we don't have to sack you. And I think there's an element about when you've made a wrong decision like that, the quicker you put your hands up and go, this isn't working, the easier it is that it doesn't damage your career. And I found in my experience and I found in other people's experiences, the quicker you go that this isn't working, the more respect people will have for you to kind of go, stop. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it also depends on the culture of the organisation. So you, you in the world that I come with, the professions, you get a lot of up or out, i.e. you've got to keep moving your career up or you're out. Yes, and so it, it comes back to if you're going to make it to the top, you've got to be very in tuned with the organization's culture and politics. Because if you are in that organization that doesn't like people going sideways, that doesn't like career managers, then 
it's only a matter of time before you're swept up and you fail and you go or you're swept out because you're not swept up and and just realize that that's the nature of the beast of what you're doing mm. Mm. so let's assume you've got you've you've landed this dream job um and it's you know something you've always wanted but it is potentially you know more significant in size and scale and you know your colleagues are working extremely hard how how do you really flourish in that and still have a life when you've got to that so the first 90 days in your role is going to set the working pattern of of your of your working life in that role and potentially your whole career with that company and actually it's quite important in those first 90 days to sort of step set your stall out of this is how I work type thing and to to influence the right people around you that they realize that you're still as long as you're achieving doesn't matter about presenteeism now a lot of people make the mistake of when they go to this new job that they think the new job starts on day one the new job starts the day you accept the role and mm. that might be a little bit counterintuitive but a lot of um, problems come because there's a mismatch of expectations between what you're expecting and what the organization and your boss is expecting from you so actually in the run-up to the first day because if you're senior you've often got a long notice period you've got gardening leave that's your time to get to really know the people that are going to be around you what's expected of you to put in place the plans for your first 90 days so when you do start on day one you know what you're doing and you're starting to fly rather than starting on day one and trying to figure out everything. Make, makes a lot of sense. And of course, there'll be people who would be very interested in meeting you before you actually yeah. start. Yeah, it's, it's the more of a network you've got, the easier it will be. And, and very often what holds us back is our own confidence. You know, if you're good at what you do, it doesn't matter if you've gone from a 10 million to a 10 billion organization. The same skills are needed. Um, it's, we often get our heads muddled up with, oh, I couldn't do that. It's much bigger. It's only little me. No, they need you and they need you for what you're good at. They wouldn't ask you to do that role with you. And it's, it's quite interesting. Those clients that have worked with me through a job transition I often find become very, very successful very, very quickly because they've got the independent sounding board, which is so vital when you make that move. Um, they're really thinking before they get to the organization, how do I make sure those first 90 days give me the best possible foundation? And they're being proactive in what they want to need from their new employer. And it makes such a difference. Yeah, make makes a, a massive amount of sense. Now, we just got a uh, sort of two or three minutes before the interview is over, and I just wonder if you've got any any final messages, any key things that you'd like to share with us before we end the interview. Yeah, I think if you're going to really achieve your full potential at work, you need to remember these three things. The first is when you really choose, good stuff happens. So make sure that you're doing stuff that makes your heart sing, that you love to do, because that is where your sweet spot is. The next thing is making sure that how you're doing it is that you play to your strengths, that you take a role that is going to really use your best skills 
and help you excel to use them. And if necessary, build people around you to support you with your weaknesses. And then the third thing is make sure that there's a fit, i.e. that the role that you want fits with your overall life goals and the way you want to run your life and be in your life. And making sure you've got those three things, of course, build, you know, with that really choose, really choose the people that you bring around you as well. And, you know, that's what I think is important for people that want to get to the top and still have a life. Heather, it's been absolutely fascinating talking with you. And I think some really, really great thoughts and tips and ideas. And, you know, I think one of the things I really take from that interview is that, you know, I thought that actually that, you know, you could get, you can get moved along almost in with along the sort of elevator of yeah. moving through your career. But I think the message that you really give there is to really take responsibility yeah. for your own career, for your own destiny, be clear about what you like um, and, uh, and realize that if you are clear and you put the time in, you know, good stuff will happen, but play to your strengths, build the support and the teams uh, around you. And I suppose realize that, Actually, you've got to play the game at certain times, mm. particularly through the things like selection panels. So some wonderful tips there and thoughts and lessons and learning. So thank you, Heather. Well, thank you very much, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed the show today. Uh, likewise. And, and if you want to find out uh, more about Heather or contact her, you can go to www.exedia.co.uk. That's E-X-C-E-D-I-A.co.uk. Uh, Chris, I would suggest, I'm not sure whether I haven't picked up that link. I'm very sorry. Okay, no if problem. people want to get in touch with me personally, yep. www.heather-townsend.co.uk. Uh, so apologies for that. So heather-townsend.co.uk. Heather-townsend.co.uk, yes. And, and people can um, buy your book as well, can't they? It's from on Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, they, they can buy any of my four books, but the new edition uh, is on Amazon um, and it's also being sold direct from the publisher. Excellent. So you heard that here. So that's great. And on next week's show, we have uh, Kathy Brown. And Kathy Brown is the executive director for a, a movement, really, called Engage for Success. And Engage for Success is, I think, uh, the body in the UK uh, for understanding employee engagement and engagement in general. And they have this tremendous amount of research, all sorts of organizations are involved, really trying to shift the level of engagement um, and level of, of engagement within cultures across the United Kingdom. So there's so much we can draw from them, ideas, research, and it very much uh, fits on the sweet spot of my business, which is very focused on elevation through engagement. So do join us next week uh, to find out more from Kathy Brown. Once again, um, a, a big thank you to Heather Townsend, and I hope you've got some great tips there on how to get to the top and still have a life. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.